Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to Ridge Church Online. It's so good that you're joining us online today, wherever you're joining from. If you don't know me, my name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Ridge Church, and I'm so excited that we're going to be hopping right back into our sermon series in the book of Exodus called Sovereign. We're looking at what God is doing in the life of Moses and in the life of the people of Israel. And specifically in this story that we're going to look at today, which is a little bit in the back half of chapter 5, but mostly in the front half of chapter 6, we're finding the story right in its messy middle. Right in this section where there's a space between the burning bush experience that we've spent weeks kind of discussing, where Moses interacts and connects with God, where he asks questions, where God shapes and forms and calls Moses back to Egypt, back to where he was, back to his people so that they might be set free. We're in between that and the Red Sea experience. We're in between one miracle and another. We're in this messy, squishy middle. And as we heard last week, things are not going very well for the Israelite people. Things are not going very well for Moses. Things are not going the way they thought they should go. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at the way Moses has to work through and in a conversation with God, as we see Moses do again and again and again in the book of Exodus, in all of Moses' life story, he's going to have to interact with God in a way that actually moves him towards trust. Because that's what the passage we're going to look at today comes down to. For Moses, for the Israelite people, and I think today for you and for me, what it comes down to is trust our trust of God, their trust in the promises of God, their trust in the power of God to actually bring about what he said he would do, their trust in whether or not God was actually going to follow through on what he said. It's about trust. And trust is a funny thing, isn't it? It's something that takes people a really long time to earn, but it can be lost in just a moment. So many good decisions can be wiped away by one terrible decision It's something that we as human beings have the choice to give out based on comfort or what someone has kind of shown us of their character. And some people maybe are more trusting and I'm willing to share everything with everybody. And some people are a little more private where I I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know whether that's based on past experience or just based on personality. We look and we look for evidence of the people around us and even greater than that of God's trustworthiness. Are the people around me, is the God who made me trustworthy? That's the question that Moses is having to reckon with today. And many of us, especially in this era of social media and doubt and conspiracy theories and all these things, we look at things and we go, trust is is not something I'm going to give away. I'm not going to trust anyone until they've proved they can earn it. I won't trust you. I won't share what's really going on in my life. I won't trust God until he proves this. I won't trust people until they do this. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really make sense, right? Trust is going to take risks. And so we, we test it, don't we? we? We start to get feelers. We start to trust people with a little bit to see if we could trust them with a lot. We share some of our story or parts of our story and see how do you respond? How, do, how does that person take it? How do they receive it? What do they say in response to it? When I confess a sin, how does the people in my small group uh, look at me, talk to me? When, when I bring something to my spouse or my family and say, this is what I'm struggling with or I'm hurting with, how, how are they going to respond to my emotions and what I'm going through? And we have this idea that trust is when hope is realized. 
will only trust when hope is realized. So when I hope for something, I hope they'll be kind to me. I hope they'll show me forgiveness. I hope, and I'm only going to trust someone when they prove that they deserve it. And that's a great idea. That would be so wonderful if it were the case. But the reality is trust requires risk. Because if trust only occurs when our expectations are met, then we'll never trust anyone. We'll never trust anyone. We'll always be looking for someone to let us down. We'll always be looking for evidence that that person isn't trustworthy. And beyond that, that God is not trustworthy because it takes a step of risk and vulnerability to test whether or not someone is trustworthy. I think of almost slamming a foot on the ice. Is it safe? The only way we can test the ice is to go out on the ice in some ways, isn't it? It requires risk in order to trust. I remember years ago when Jaleesa, my wife, and I were first married, we were part of our community group. And something happened in the community group where we'd been in there for a year, we'd been getting to know people, and this one tough night happened where I shared with the community group something I was struggling with or, or working around, and, and somebody else in the community group got upset at me, and they were angry at me, and, and I remember just being so filled with shame and so filled with anxiety and not knowing what to do with that, but what I decided to do the next day was really simple, and I wonder if it's what many of you have done in your lives and in your communities and even in your faith. I decided that this was evidence that people can't be trusted. That trust is not a worthwhile risk to take. Community is a great idea, but I don't trust anyone enough to really let them in to my lives. And the deeper question that I actually had when I look back on that time is I wasn't just asking if people were trustworthy. I was starting to wonder, man, if God's people aren't trustworthy, is God trustworthy? Like if God is telling us to do this or calling us to do whatever thing, like he's calling Moses in this story to go to Egypt to set people free, that he's promising him these things, and then Moses goes and it's not going the way he thought it was going to go. I wonder if Moses started to ask, is is God trustworthy? Because he made me these promises at a burning bush where he called me and I said I didn't want to go and he told me he had called me to go and he told me he was going to equip me to go and he told me that's what he wanted me to do. But now I'm here and it's not working. It's not going the way I thought it was going to go. And as we heard last week, the promises of Yahweh and the current reality of the Hebrew people don't seem to be lining up. Here's what it says from Exodus 5 before we hop into today's text. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, this is after Moses goes and approaches them and says to let God's people go, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and they were asked, why haven't you done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why are you treating your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said to them, you are idle, you are idle, or you are lazy, you are lazy. So... The fault is your own. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You're just being lazy. Now go and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of 
bricks, your daily task each day. Nothing was going the way it was supposed to. Nothing was working out in line with what Yahweh had said just a few chapters earlier to Moses. No amount of strong leadership or saying the right thing or trying to convince Pharaoh or warning Pharaoh of what might come seemed to be doing the trick. It was just getting worse and worse. And when God talked to Moses, when he met him in the desert, he didn't mention this part. He didn't mention that it was going to get harder before it got better. He didn't mention that it was going to get more brutal before he set them free. He didn't mention that this was going to be what happened. And I wonder if Moses was reaching his breaking point. Can you imagine that? Like we read this story and we're like, oh, it's just a couple chapters and we're just cruising through and week by week we're looking at the life of Moses. But this is his life. God's called him to something and he didn't even want to do it. And now he's doing it and it's not working. I thought you called me to this, God. I thought this is what you wanted for the people, God. I thought you were going to set us free. And I did exactly what you told me to do, and it's not working. Why isn't it working the way I thought it was going to? Why isn't this living up to my expectations? I trusted you, God, and now here I am. And look, it's just gotten worse. And how many of us have had moments like that in our lives? I remember... Jaleesa and I living in Salmon Arm where I went to school and served in a church there and, and she had grown up her whole life. We had friends, we had family, we had community and then we sensed this call that, that God was carrying us somewhere else and then we came and we met people in this church and we got interviewed and we went through a process and we discerned together through prayer and through conversations with people we trusted that God wanted us to come and serve at this church called Maple Ridge Baptist Church in this town called Maple Ridge that we'd never even really heard of. And so we pack up the U-Haul, we get everything ready, all our friends help us load our whole lives into a 10-foot truck, and we drive out to a a basement suite we found on the internet, and we're hoping actually is still there when we arrive in Maple Ridge, and we get there, and our families came, and they help us unload, and some friends came, and and they helped us for the next couple days get settled, and then they went home, and I just remember this moment, three days in, sitting in this basement suite with Jaleesa and and wondering, well, now what? (laughs) Like, like we followed God's call, but I'm I'm a little scared. I don't have any friends here. I I don't know how this is going to go. I've never been uh, a pastor before. I've just been somebody's intern. And and now here I am. And and what is this going to mean? And and how are we going to make friends? And, And we don't have a family here. And I started to feel this tension of what if we made the wrong call? Like, like, did, did God really call us out here? Is this really where we're supposed to be? Because it doesn't feel very comfortable. It doesn't feel very good. In fact, it feels quite scary. And I wonder if what Moses was experiencing in this story is what we all at some point in our lives experience. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't take long to realize there's a disconnect between your current reality and what could, or if you've read the promises of God, whether in the Old Testament or the New, what should be. We look at our lives, we look at our world, we look at our families, we look at our relationships, and we go, something's not the way it's supposed to be. And yet I read these things about what God's going to do in my life, and the Holy Spirit's going to do in my life, and what God's calling my life in is, and I've sensed this thing, whether in prayer, or through mentorship, or through someone speaking a word over you, that this is God's call on my life. But there's a dissonance between the things I hear in my small group, or the things I hear preached by Jonathan or Dan on a Sunday at church. There's a dissonance between that and what my life looks like. 
what my life feels like. I'm going to be more than a conqueror through Christ, but I don't feel like a conqueror when I can barely drag myself out of bed in the morning to get to work on a Monday. I'm going to be healed and set free and step into the new self, as Corinthians tells us, but I don't feel like the new self because I'm still addicted to the same sins I was addicted to five years ago that I can't get over. There's a gap between what we want so badly to believe about God, and yet we can't get to trust him. We look at our lives and we go, I thought I had found my calling by now. I thought I'd know what I would do with my life, but I, I still can't even pick a job. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, I don't know where to go to school. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I thought my marriage would be better by now. I thought we would have gotten over this, but it feels like we're just arguing all the time. And no matter how much I pray or we go to church or we're in our small group, we just can't seem to work it out. I, I'm lonely. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd have a partner by now, but I'm just doing life by myself while everybody else gets married and has babies and buys houses and, and all these things. I thought I'd be over this sickness by now. But years later, it's still affecting me. I thought I'd be done with that sin by now, but I'm still in bondage to it. There's a gap between what we want to believe about God and His promises and what our lived experience looks and feels like. Life is not going the way I thought it was supposed to go. Here's what it says in the back half of Exodus 5. The Israelites met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, and as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to him, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses, this is your fault. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done this evil to these people? And then this question that resonates from past chapters and his fears and insecurities. Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to these people, and you have not delivered your people at all. All Moses' fears, all Moses' insecurities, all the things Moses said to God, don't send me, I can't talk right, it's not going to work, they're not going to listen to me, I'm not enough, they're going to hate me. He's saying, God, look, I told you so. I told you, God, that this is what was going to happen. I told you I was not going to do this. I told you I couldn't do this. And here I am, and you have not delivered us at all. And you said, go, because I'm going to deliver you. But here we are, and it's getting worse, not better. It gets harder. The people suffer. Moses and Aaron's mission looks to be a complete failure. And not only that, but every fear Moses has ever had about his leadership is coming true. Whether it's in a leadership mode like Moses, or whether it's just in our lives, we start to filter everything through the lens of our suffering and our heart. We look at the promises of God, we look at the things that God has said to us or called us to, and we start to filter those things through the circumstance that we're in, and we get irritable or defensive. We're just grumpy, we're just irritated, we're just, well, leave me alone, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, I don't want to be honest. I don't want to go to small group. I don't want to go and tell anybody what I need prayer for right now. I just want to get through my day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go to church on a Sunday. I'll do all the right stuff. But just leave me alone. Don't challenge me. Don't press me to change or we get restless. 
We go, okay, God, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it in my hands and I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get over my sinful addictions. I'm going to fix my marriage or my relationship with my kids. I'm going to fix what's wrong with my small group or the ministry I serve in. I'm going to fix it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Or in an era of Netflix and Instagram, we just turn to escapism. God's not going to do anything. I'm just going to watch The Office again. Man, I could just binge a couple shows and not think about this because it's too stressful. It's too painful. So I'm just going to tune out. I'm going to scroll my Instagram feed. I'm going to look at TikTok all day. I'm going to go buy something online because for a second, I feel good when I buy something just for me. We find ways to escape. But here's the great truth that you and I and every person needs to know. Even though we filter God's promises through our circumstances, that's not the right order. Our circumstances do not determine God's character. What you are going through in your life is not what determines and defines who God is. And I know that can be hard to hear and that doesn't line up with our reality, but it is the truth. Even though it may look and feel like what we're going through defines who God is, just as it does for Moses, right? He's upset. He's frustrated. I told you so, God. Why did you send me, God? Look at what's happening here, God. But look at how God responds in Exodus 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know what? That I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now, if you're reading that passage, you might be thinking some of the same things I thought when I first opened up my Bible and started looking at this passage a couple weeks ago, thinking about this sermon. seems like a lot of repetition. Like, most of what's said here is not new. God's already said it to Moses chapters before. God's already made these promises. God's already said he's going to set the people free. God's already told Moses his name, that I am the Lord. God's already promised that he hears the groaning of the Israelite people. All these things God is repeating. And so you might find yourself looking at a passage like this and being wondering, why is God being so repetitive? He's already said this, but here's why God is doing this. And it's actually so painstakingly simple, but I think this is really what it is because it's easy for us to forget. Because it's easy for us to let things slip our mind that God has said and God has done and God has spoken into our lives. God is aware and is seeing the active process of Moses having to go through the challenge and the struggle and the pain of this process. And he gets it. 
He actually seems to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're going through is wearing down on your soul. It's grinding away your hope and anticipation and trust in me. And so I need to remind you of what I've promised you. I need you to remember who I am. I love that God in this passage uses his name. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He uses it four times. He says, what I did do. I am the Lord who appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is something that's been happening long before you were ever on the scene, Moses. I want you to remember who I am and what I am doing. I have heard the groaning of the Israelite people. I'm not far off. I don't not care. I care deeply and I love the people deeply and I'm going to do something about it. And I want you to remember who I am, Moses, and what I promise to do that I will do, I will set you free. I will bring you out under the burden and slavery that the Egyptians have placed you under. I need you to remember who I am, Moses, not because I'm changing or backpedaling, right? I think about this all the time. Sometimes I give promises, hey, Julissa, I promise I'll do the dishes before I leave for work in the morning. And then all of a sudden, my promise to do the dishes became, well, actually, the promise was, like, I do the dishes in that I wash one plate, but then I ran out of time, so I left things soaking in the sink. And it's like this backpedal. No, 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 that's not what God is doing. Because he's saying to Moses, I want you to remember who I am. It hasn't changed. I'm being repetitive so that you can remember what I did do, what I am doing, and what I'm going to do are all the same. Because Moses will forget the weight of life, the challenge of what he's going through is grinding on his soul. And if we aren't careful, that's exactly what will happen to us. In the rush and craziness of our lives, of jobs and families and media and news and stress and pandemics and lockdowns and school and work and whatever it may be, the world grinds away on our soul and we forget what God has done. And we forget what God is doing because it's our ability to see and to trust the character of God that will allow us to walk through hard things without losing hope, without losing trust, without starting to think maybe God isn't so good after all. Maybe God doesn't actually care about this. Maybe God isn't going to bring about what he promised he would bring about. Um, what God is asking Moses to do here is, is to put down the weight of having to handle everything himself, of having to be the savior of the people. He, he's reminding him, Moses, it's not about you, man. I am the Lord. You're not. I'm going to set the people free. You're going to work and serve and love the people, but you are not God. So take that pressure off yourself. Remembering who God is and what he has done is an essential part of our discipleship. Here's the thing. I think that most of us, if you're watching this from wherever you are, if you are someone who's decided to follow Jesus, would say that we desire a life that God's at work in. We desire a life where we can see and feel and experience the power of the Holy Spirit to change things in our life. We want to grow we want to become mature. We want our lives to be marked by Jesus and what he's done. We want our neighbors to see Christ at work in us. We want all those things, but we are so busy trying to hold up the weight of the stress and pressure of our lives that we're, we're, we're shutting our eyes and we can't see God anymore. 
We're so stressed and our eyes are closed just trying to hold it all together and we can't see God anymore. But here's the problem. As John Tyson, a pastor out of New York, puts it, you cannot be formed by something you cannot remember. You cannot be formed by something you cannot remember. That's what God is getting at. That's why God is being repetitive. That's why he's speaking to Moses and re-upping all his promises and saying, I am the Lord. This is what I did. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do. Because when we remember God, we can wait on God. We can find rest in the middle of the battle. We can find peace in the middle of the storm. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of our brokenness. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. It is an inevitability. You will get tired in the world that we live in. Verse 31, but they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. What a promise that is. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord. So my question for you today is, do you know what it means to wait on God? When there's a gap between what is and what could be, and what you're feeling and what God's promised, and what you're hoping for and what you wish God would do, and what God has not yet done between the already and the not yet that we live in. Do you know how to wait on the Lord? Tim Keller has an amazing uh, little video where he talks about three elements of what it means for us to wait on God. I'm going to borrow them for this. And if you're taking notes, there's three things. There's three pieces, I think, of what it means to wait on God. These are from Tim Keller. Number one, lay down the burden of being God. You don't have to hold the whole world in your hands. And that should set you free today. Feel that weight shake off your shoulders. You don't have to carry it. God keeps referring in this passage to what he is going to do. To what he is going to do. He doesn't say, Moses, you're going to set the people free. Moses, you're going to make Pharaoh do this. Moses, you're going to... No, no, no. He says, I am. I am the Lord your God, and I am going to bring the people out of Egypt. It is not up to Moses to make the exodus happen. It is up to Moses to be obedient to God. In John 21, there's this amazing story, um, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, when Jesus is with his disciples and he's meeting them and he's restored Peter. And Peter looks over at John and I love what it says, John 21. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Amazing title for John to give himself in the Gospel of John. Following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during supper and he said, Lord, who is that that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. See, Peter looks and he's had this amazing moment with Jesus, but then he looks at John and he's like, well, what about him? What's the plan with him? What's going on with John? I get my job, but what's up with him? Tell me what's going on with him. I need to compare myself to him. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it, man. It's nothing to you. You focus on what I've called you to do. You are going to be an amazing leader, Peter, in the church, but it is not your job to be God. So lay down the burden of being God. Number two, get some perspective. What I don't mean is I don't mean make yourself feel like crap. 
I don't mean get some perspective in a shameful way of like, don't you know how good you have it? Don't you know it's not so bad? Don't you know how much worse other people have it than you? You're so lazy. You're, you're the worst. That's not what perspective is about. Romans 8, 18. Here's what Paul writes in light of getting some perspective. For I consider, he writes, that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Can you see the big picture? Can you see that we live in light of eternity? Can you see that our life on this earth is but a vapor? Can you see what God is doing? That Jesus is risen and that changes things because if Jesus rose and Jesus loves me and Jesus is victorious, then one way or another, even if it's not how I expect, everything's going to be okay. Get some perspective as you look at eternity. And then finally, number three, let Jesus be the hero. When Jesus was in the garden before he went to his crucifixion, here's what it said. He prayed. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me, he asked his friends. And then going a little farther into the garden, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but yours, father. Moses didn't have the benefit of seeing this whole story. Moses didn't get the picture that we do. Moses didn't have the New Testament to look at. He didn't have the gospel to look at and see that what God was going to do through Jesus changes everything. When we look at Jesus in the garden and what he went through, we see his courage to step into what he has been called to, what his purpose is, no matter how painful it might be. We see that he walks in submission to the Father in asking his will to be done. He doesn't avoid his emotions. He says, God, if there's any other way, that's what I prefer. But if this is what your call is, if this is what it's going to take to save people, I will do it. And we see his love for people. That whatever it's going to take, whatever it costs, his life for ours, that's a worthwhile sacrifice for him to make. Jesus refused to let his situation determine who God was. I wonder if he thought of his baptism as he walked towards the cross where the voice of the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What if we let God's character define our circumstances? What if instead of looking at our suffering and our struggle and our pain and said, that's going to be what gives me an idea of who God is. What if we said, no, 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 the character of who God is, the promises that God makes that he has fulfilled, ultimately through the work, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that's what's going to define my reality. That's what's going to define my pain. That's going to be the filter by which I view my life. Romans 5, Paul writing again says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope and the glory of God. Not only that, listen to this, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing what? That suffering produces endurance, that endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. Hope in 
God and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's my question for you as we close. What is your filter? What are you filtering the experiences of your life through? Is God's character and God's nature being filtered through your circumstance, through what you're going through and what's a challenge for you in life? Or is your circumstance being filtered through who God is and what he has done and the gospel of Jesus that he died and rose again and everything goes through that. See, we can grow in the midst of the in-between as we learn to wait on the Lord. And then as we see Moses try to bring this message to the people, here's what it says. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. but They didn't listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And we're going to wrap up, but I just wonder... Maybe you're not like Moses and you're not arguing with God. Maybe you're just in a spot where you have a broken spirit. Maybe it's not an argument anymore and maybe it's not a wrestle anymore. Maybe you've just flat out given up. Maybe you've looked at your situation and you've gone, this is all the evidence I need to say that God does not care about me. It's too hard. It's too brutal. It's too painful. I want you to know today the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is near to you if you are in that place today. He is not far off. He is not waiting for you to get your crap together. He loves you where you're at today. Jesus understands your pain. He does not belittle it or tell you to suck it up. He has felt the sting of the betrayal of his friends. He's felt the pain of the loss of the death of his friend Lazarus where he wept, the struggle to do what's right even when it will cost him his own life, the harsh word and scorn of enemies who have come against him and lied about him, the shame of being stripped naked and mocked while his closest friend stood aside cussing out the idea of even knowing him. Jesus understands your pain. Jesus understands what it means to be broken in spirit. And so I want to close today with these verses out of Isaiah. Here's what it says. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that has brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. No matter what pain you're feeling, if you are feeling broken in spirit, you need to know today that Jesus understands and Jesus can bear the weight of that. Indeed, he already has. He took the weight of all your sin, past, present, future, all the sin that's been done to you, past, present, future, to the cross, and proclaimed that it is finished. And the Lord tells Moses to keep going. He says, Go in, verse 11 of Exodus 6, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. He's still wrestling. He's still not sure. How is Pharaoh going to listen 
to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of the land of Egypt. God will not stop repeating that he is going to do it. Keep going, keep trusting, keep hoping, keep obeying, keep believing that God is going to do a work in your life. It might not happen on your timeline. It might not happen the way that you want it to. But one thing we can trust because when we look at Jesus, we see that God has laid the burden and the suffering of our sin on him. And it promises us that one day, somehow things will be okay. Psalm 39, 7, and now, O Lord, for what will I wait? And he answers himself, my hope is in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can place our hope in you, that we can bring our burdens and our struggles to you, and that we can filter our circumstances through your kindness, your promises, your grace, trusting, God, that you keep your promises. Thank you for how you did that for Moses. Thank you that we get to see the whole story. We know, Lord, that you will not abandon the Israelite people, that as bad as it looks, freedom is coming. Would we realize that that's the truth for us today? And it might not happen on our timeline. It might not happen the way we want it to. But one way or another, God, you will set us free and you will redeem us and you will restore us whether it be now or into eternity. Lord Jesus, give us that perspective today. We love you, and as we worship you now, we expect great things to be done, not because of who we are, not because of what we deserve, but because Jesus is risen and victorious over all things. And it's in your name we pray, God. Amen.